The evolution of human resources in years past has turned into, you'd better believe it, a revolution in talent management. And no wonder. Labor markets are tight. It's a job seeker's paradise. Some banks might even find themselves acting a bit insecure in the talent race. But there's a way to win the short game and succeed in the long run. Here to explain how it's done, we have Janet Coletti, Executive Vice President, Human Resources of M&T Bank Corporation. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Compliance can be expensive, but the cost of non-compliance is much steeper. BAI offers comprehensive compliance training and professional development education to more than 1,800 financial services organizations. BAI's team of compliance experts provide comprehensive and up-to-date information while actively monitoring regulatory changes and updating content so that you can trust BAI's relevant, timely information. Learn more at BAI.org training. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. It is wonderful to have you here with us. And we have Janet Coletti. Janet is Executive Vice President, Human Resources at M&T Bank in Buffalo, New York, and is a member of the Management Committee. M&T's Management Committee meets weekly to set the direction and oversee the performance of one of the nation's top 20 largest independent commercial bank holding companies. And Janet, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. Offline, you took me through this flowchart that what was once called personnel is now HR. HR is now evolving into talent management. How can banks attract top talent given their unfair reputation as stuffy? It's a good question. And I think that over time, banks have been considered sort of stodgy and stuffy. I will say, though, I think banks are also considered stable. And that is appealing to some who are early in their careers and some who are later in their careers are anxious, I think, to work for a place that offers some measure of stability. I think, though, the real reason that we can attract people to work to banks is that we have a mission I believe is really noble. We make a difference in people's lives. We help when they're feeling vulnerable and we are there at exciting times when they're buying homes and financing college educations and I think that banks make consumers' lives and small businesses' lives and communities that much stronger, and that's kind of a noble purpose. And I think people are anxious to work for organizations that have a vital role and are anxious to achieve that greater purpose. There's also this notion of getting various constituencies to see each other and do exciting things. And the cultural excitement of revising dress codes and equipping people with the right tech. Tell us how you've leveraged such changes to boost employee satisfaction and happiness. Yeah, that's also a great question. I think there used to be this term that was really widely used. People would talk about work-life balance. I think the more preferred phrase these days is work-life harmony because your work life and your professional life are so intertwined. So one of the things that we've been doing, and we've definitely taken a cue from some of the newer firms, the more progressive firms, we've tried to put our employees in a position where they have more control, more influence, more power over their work life. So just 
as an example, we have a paid time off program that allows them to choose when they take time and they can spend that time as they choose. We have a program that offers pretty generous parental leave so that we're supportive of families. We have a dress code policy that allows people to dress in a way in which they feel comfortable. We call it dress for your day. So you're sort of dressing for what's going to happen on that given day. And we also have some flexible work arrangement programs so that people can work when and where it best suits them. In addition, the affinity groups that you mentioned, sometimes they're called resource groups, are very important to making sure that people feel included and like they belong in our organization. We have something like 52 chapters of resource groups. Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot, and it's grown substantially over the last, they really took hold about seven years ago. And we have resource groups for women, for the African-American community, for those individuals who have disabilities. We have a veterans resource group. Of the 17,000 employees that work at M&T, 5,200 are members of resource groups. So we know that these groups allow them to feel like they're part of something larger, allow them to contribute in different ways, allow them to lead, and allow them to have influence that is greater than what their individual job responsibility may be. We're awfully happy to have had the sort of grassroots effort that brought these groups into existence. So you've touched on this idea of making a difference, having an impact. How does making a difference and having an impact figure into your talent management approach right now? It's a very big part of our recruiting strategy, and obviously recruiting is a big part of talent management. The labor market is especially tight right now, so we have to have a good story to tell, if you will. It's a very genuine story, but we want to make certain that potential employees know that there is a broader purpose of our organization and that there are imperatives that we hold very dear, strategic imperatives that we work toward every day. So it's a very important part of our recruiting effort, but then beyond that, it's an important part of our retention effort. And I think if employees continue to feel that their work is challenging, and that they have broader levels of influence, they tend to stay with us. It's one of the reasons that I think the resource groups have been so valuable to us is that not only are they a place where people feel like they see other people who look like them or think like them, so they feel as though they belong, I think that the resource groups have also been very important for us in networking, in education, in philanthropy work, and helping us really define future bank policies and programs with their input. So just as an example, we were implementing a new technology solution in human resources. We went to the resource groups and asked some of the leaders there to be champions on our technology effort to help with the communication, to help with feedback, to help make sure that the system was integrated successfully. So they play a terrific role in the organization for us. That potential may be in the employee's mind or in the prospect's mind. But they may also be thinking about the career path and outlining that path for new and developing hires will contribute greatly to the value proposition. Not always easy to do, though. How have you approached this? I think that it's important to have an employee value proposition. Essentially, it's the reason that people come to work for your bank. Simply, you know, why would I want to work here? So I think for us, we have been very clear in that if you want to work for an organization that is devoted to our employees and devoted to the communities we serve, that's sort of the value proposition that we offer. Having said that, You want to feel like, okay, if you're devoted to the employees, what does that mean? And what sort of opportunities for advancement do I have? 
We have relied heavily on our managers to make sure they're doing the appropriate coaching and mentoring and offering guidance to our employees so that they can appropriately progress through their career journey. We now are thinking about it more broadly. And as you might imagine, adding a technological implication to the career pathing effort. So there are various programs that we're looking at to help employees sort of navigate that career path. And then eventually adding some additional help through career coaches in the organization so that employees understand much more clearly what opportunities are out there for them and what they need to do to get to that next level. In my own career path, I've heard the phrase, you've got a lot to learn, (laughs) quite a bit. I don't know how that's meant at times, but definitely career path learning. These two things go hand in hand. Explain to us how you see them working together and why it's so important. It's very true. I think career pathing is critical and you need to see what next steps may be there, but you have to take your own personal responsibility for continuous learning. And we have a number of training programs that we offer at the bank in order to support employees' learning efforts. And one of the things we've been thinking more and more about lately is allowing time for learning on the job, if you will. And I guess just a quick story, we have a new chief learning officer, and it's through his eyes I see that we have been, I think, a little rigid in allowing time at work to learn. And he was actually suggesting that some of the members on his team read an article or read a book, actually, in preparation for a project they were working on, and they were trying to squeeze it in at night before they had the next meeting. And he said to me, you know, Janet, do you think it would be all right if I dedicated, you know, sort of an hour a week or 10% of people's time to spend on learning at work? And I said, of course, that's the way it should be. But we're also focused on the meetings that need to be attended and the work that needs to be accomplished. Sometimes we don't really let ourselves spend the time learning at work. And I think that's something that we're very committed to doing more and more. Employees and customers, everybody wants them both to win How do you balance the idea of doing right by employees and by customers as well? So I believe really wholeheartedly with my human resources hat on, but also with my business line hat on, because before I was in human resources, I worked in a number of the bank's business lines, that we need to care about the employees first and foremost. It's all about the employees. If you have employees who are happy and challenged, and interested, and engaged, you will have very happy customers. They'll take care of their customers because they feel, they, the employees, feel taken care of. And then by extension, we feel like the communities we serve become that much more vibrant. So for us, I guess just said really simply, happy employees equals happy customers equals a vibrant community. And of course, the banking industry needs more happiness. Customers want it. They want to be happy, too. It's been a joy to have you on the podcast today. Janet, thanks so much for making time to be here. It's been really fun to be with you. Janet Coletti is Executive Vice President Human Resources for M&T Bank Corporation. She is based in Buffalo, New York. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one. While banks may dwell on a reputation that places them as stodgy and stuffy, remember, as employers, banks are also stable. The mission, what's more, is noble, to make a difference when consumers are buying homes or small businesses and need to make the leap, or as beacons of financial literacy, 
to help when customers feel the most stressed. Number two, in terms of recruiting strategy and a tight labor market, ask yourself, do you have a good story to tell? If so, share it at recruiting time and sustain it as employees grow and develop. Remember, employees want to be part of something larger, and much depends on the employer's double devotion to the communities you serve and to provide managers, mentoring, and coaching that will help employees progress through their career journey and navigate the path to success. And number three, Here's the first and last word on talent management. It's all about the employee. Employees who are happy, challenged, valued, and engaged will lead in the most powerful direct way to delighted customers. Joy may sound like a soft value and a hard metric to measure, but for employees and customers alike, joy makes all the difference. The next generation of leaders are the fuel for the financial services industry's journey into the future. BAI Emerging Leaders Network creates exciting new learning, mentoring, networking, and visibility opportunities that foster career success. Applications are now open for the 2019 class of emerging leaders. Learn more at BAI.org. And now BAI Banking Strategies presents My 21-Year-Old Self, where our podcast guest talks about what they were like at 21, life as an emerging leader, and the advice they give themselves today. Serious? Don't be. At least when you're 21, hyper-career-focused and perfectionistic. That's how Janet Coletti describes her 21-year-old self and why she'd advise the young Janet to relax, kick back, and, yeah, have fun. Uh, I think I would tell my 21-year-old self to be less serious. I was a very purposeful, very serious, very rigid college graduate who was so focused on my career and so focused on working hard and doing well and really terribly focused on not making any mistakes. And I think I would tell my 21-year-old self to relax, to worry less, to be patient, to listen more, have more fun, and to realize that although it might not seem that way then, that everything will unfold as it should. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast. We hope to have you back with us very soon. Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. Our producer, as always, is James Grady. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.